Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast. Wait. Today is Monday, November 9th. It is officially Masters Week. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest. And Reed, I'll let you do the introduction. Woo! Back, uh, good to be back with the boys. I know uh, it's been maybe a week now. Um, with me today, or with us today, I have one of my most favorite people in the world, a guy who I have always looked up to, admired his talent, admired his work ethic, uh, a guy who has 38 wins, if I've done the correct math, uh, in the Northwest section played in, uh, I don't even know how many U.S. Opens and PGA Championships. Uh, Jeff Costin, how are we doing? Man, that must make me old or something. I'm just trying to stay young from the neck down, you know what I'm saying? But uh, it's been I, I just love golf. I love people. I love teaching, and they're going to make a teacher and a player out of me yet. That's what I'm working on, man. You are you still teaching up at Semiyama, Jeff? You know, I've been there for 26 years. I can't believe it. You know, I started there when I was three, but I'm still there. No, I've been there 26 years. Um, it's been a great thing. I I played the regular tour and went on the what's now the Corn Ferry Tour and played the Champions Tour, and really oddly enough. Um, in the middle of 1994, I was on what's now called the Corn Ferry Tour. And, you know, just family-wise, it wasn't working out great. It wasn't like my marriage was on the rocks or anything, but I just wanted to have a thriving marriage. And so the hardest decision of my life, I just walked away from the tour. And it was really hard. And it was kind of like, who would ever move to Blaine, Washington? But being at Simiambu has been a great fit. I still get to play in a lot of tournaments and um, teach my brains out. And like I say, they're going to make a teacher out of me yet. What what brought you over to the Pacific Northwest, Jeff? I, I'm in Portland, so I, I know the the rainy seasons can drive people away, but what what caught your eye? Yeah, you know, I grew up at a place that Reed knows, uh, Inglewood Country Club. I started caddying and, and the lost art of caddying, but Reed knows about that. Um, so I started caddying. That's what got me into golf. And then I remember I used to jump the fence at Inglewood and sneak on, and, and um, then I was kind of always the runt of the litter but I, I, I caught the bug, right? I was a basketball player and a golfer. And, uh, and so went to high school there and then moved to California and came back and went to Seattle University. And um, that was a neat thing. Um, had scholarships to play basketball and golf. I decided to play golf and, and um, stayed in the Northwest and started playing the mini tours with an with a Airstream travel trailer, played in every state but Alaska. And uh, here I am, back to back to the Pacific Northwest. I was in Orlando for a long time when I was on the tour and stuff. And um, my wife's family's up here. But again, I'm very grateful and thankful where I am, no question. Yeah, for, for those of the, oh, sorry. That, uh, one of Jeff's very good friends is uh, Mike Bender, who coaches and works with Zach Johnson. Yeah, so Bender and I played the mini tours together. We were always the first ones there and the last one to leave, and we were in a couple playoffs together. And and um, <clears throat> I was teasing because we've done 150 golf schools together, and I was teasing, tell him about those playoffs we were in, Bender. And he said, yeah, you beat me. So it's like I did talk to Bender yesterday, um, and, and I talked to him again today about Augusta and because he's there obviously with Zach, and, and um, he likes it that there's not many people. He can just go where he wants. But – 
you know, you talked about the differences in the golf course that we could talk about later, but Bender um, has been a huge influence on my golf and my teaching. Mike Adams has been a huge influence on my golf and teaching. Um, Andy Plummer, and Mike Bennett have also been huge. And um, again, I may not be that smart, but I hang out with smart people like Reed Martin. Yeah, and for those for those not as familiar with you, first of all, you've got a Wikipedia page. So that's like incredible. That's already you succeeded in uh, the sports world. But if you were to give like a quick two, three minute recap of how you got to where you are today, how you started in golf, what, what you played in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, again, it was like, I didn't really have a dad growing up. And so I had neighborhood kids that were all older than me and they went to the golf course. So I went. And um, I was always, like I said, the youngest and, and just always trying to play catch up. And so um, that set the hook with me caddying and just being a part of that, that gang, you know, and then, um, and then it was like, when I moved to California, some reason maybe I got more mature, got stronger. And in high school, I got better and better and better. And then um, came back and went to Seattle University. I ended up being in the Seattle University Athletic Hall of Fame. That's where I met my wife. Um, I had long hair, like, you know, shoulder length hair, drove a VW van, had you big met, bell bottoms on. You met on. her at Seattle University or you met her in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yeah, I'd take either. She's in the Hall of Fame. I'm in the Hall of Shame. No, I met her at Seattle University. So beautiful girl. And, and I had a golf club in this history class. I said, what the heck are you doing with a golf club? I never saw her before. And so um, I said, I played the golf team. She looked at me from head to toe and said, there's no way you plan the golf team. So she had a friend on the golf team, and so he asked her. So I had a reason to sit next to her the next day, and and um, I said, "What did he say?" And she said, "He says you're number one man." And I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, "Never doubt me again." <laughs> and uh, we'll be married. Yeah, we'll be married 44 years in December, and I'm still saying that. So, so some something's working. But uh, and so after Seattle University, I turned pro and and um, started traveling. In that V-Dub van, 1968 Volkswagen van, I wish I still had it. If anybody has one out there, let me know. But we slept in that and stayed in that thing. And, and uh, then we got an Airstream travel trailer and moved to Florida. And I have a, you know, met Tom Lehman, Tom Lehman, Kenny Perry, you know, um, Payne Stewart. I knew Payne Stewart before, before he ever put on a pair of knickers. We used to play at Dollar Nassau, Paul Azinger. All those guys were, you know, they, they're famous. And I'm just almost famous, man. So uh, this guy did an article on me several years ago. Tony Deere, who's a wonderful writer, he, and the article's called Almost Famous. It's about me, but it's a really good article, but it's true. It's, so you know, I played a lot of golf. I'm the all-time What's that? I was going to say, Jeff, Jeff is, if, you know, there's a lot of people that do know who he is, you know, all over the country, but if you're in the Northwest, you know who, you know who Jeff Costin is, 100%. And well, I was going to say, uh, if you don't know who he is, it's a little bit of a problem. So for those who don't know, I'm just going to read this because I thought this is incredible. You've been the Pacific Northwest Player of the Year in 1995, 1996, 1997, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2006, 2007, and 2010. I got to ask, what happened in 2005 and 1998 that you didn't win? <laughs> well, I know, you know, I know what's crazy is, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been player of the year 24 times. That's a good thing, right? I don't know if that makes me old, but I love golf, man. And, and when I was on the tour, it was like guys would always ask me to watch him hit balls and stuff. I kind of always had to know why the ball did what it did. And if I didn't, 
I needed to find out why. And so that's kind of been my pilgrimage. And then it's been like, um, why did all my friends make it and Uncle Jeff didn't? You know what I mean? Like I got on the tour, but I'd never won on the tour. And so I think, so then the mental side of golf and the strategical template and the, and the um, putting, you know what I mean? And, and the emotional, the visualization. And so those have been, you know, things that I've been seeking out the last 30 years. So any sports psychologist, whether it's Bob Rutella, Deborah Graham, David Cook, Chuck Hogan, you know, you name it, Fred Shoemaker, you name it. They all have white jackets for me in their office. So uh, I'm, I'm learning. So I'm going to get it yet. I'm going to get this game yet. Love it. But, uh, so we, obviously we have uh, Masters coming up, Jeff. What do you think uh, is going to play a difference in time of year? Like what, what's the golf course? How is the golf course going to be different between now and in April? And how is it going to affect the, uh, the tournament this week? Yeah, so – you know, like I asked Bender because he was there today. I said, hey, Mike, give me three things that are going to be different. Um, text me three things that are going to be different. You know, and, and um, first of all, when Zach won, right, it was like he never went for a par five and two, which was hard and discipline, right? So he's a wedge master, and I think everybody needs to be a wedge master. They need to be a BMW ultimate driving machine. Their putter needs to be their lightsaber. They got to have great speed on the greens. But you also have to be a wedge master where they can't hide that flag from you, man. And you don't have to make a birdie with a four iron or a seven iron for that matter, unless you have your egg. But you need to um, be a wedge master. And so that's how Zach won the Masters. And so what Bender said, too, is, you know, they planted the ryegrass and the ryegrass is thicker and a longer grass where it's not as fast. Right. And so so it's, the course will be playing longer because of that. For one reason, ryegrass is you know, thicker, the ball's not going to run as much. Number two is on the greens also, there's all the rye hasn't come in where it is in April. And he said there's some brown patches in the greens that are going to make the speed tricky because you could have some different speeds where there's not as much rye on the green and it has to, you have to roll it through there. So that, that, that could be a challenge also. And I think that also the third thing, the weather, the weather's supposed to be wet and rainy. So that's going to make that grass softer and fluffier. So I think that those would be the major factors that are going to play a difference in that scenario. And who do you right? think that will benefit most? Well, you know what's interesting is um, there's a guy named um, Mike Naft. And so he did this education seminar for the section. I happened to sit in on it. And so he was doing it from Bryson DeChambeau's house. So Bryson had played Augusta the day before. And so they met at his house. And he's kind of the guy that does the avatar things for DeChambeau. And what's interesting, he said why he hits it so far. And he was talking about different clubs he was hitting into the greens, and it wasn't much. You know what I'm saying? And so and he hits the ball hard right to left. And so and, – and he feels good about his stuff. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting – you know, I think Bubba Watson could be an interesting watch also. Um, I think Dustin Johnson would be an interesting roster. And I know that McElroy, you know, wants that thing bad also. So those would be, those would be a few guys that it would be interesting to watch those guys for sure. Why don't, why don't you think Rory has been able to get it done at Augusta yet? I mean, he's, he's got everything you need, I feel like. Um, and even our, our – we've got a, a guy on our team who does some pretty – hardcore system analytics and doesn't see 
Rory getting really even in the top 20 this year. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. well, I'll take that bet right now. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that bet. Well, you know what's interesting is um, I've been fortunate enough to hit balls with McElroy. I've been fortunate enough to play in several PGA championships. In fact, twice I've been a grandpa in the regular PGA championship. That's been a lot of fun. And um, all those guys are just really amazing people. You know, I mean, it's it's been so neat to – talk to those guys, the older guys I've known because they're my friends and stuff. I'm, you know, layman, like I say, or Kenny Perry and stuff like that. Traveling with those guys have been a gas. But um, for those guys to be kind to me and, and nice to me, like I remember uh, my grandson's nine years old. If I showed you his golf swing, he'd freak out. And so when he was like a little bit younger, I was playing in the PGA and I said, hey, would you guys write too late and write something about golf? and then signed it rather than just a signature. Man, those guys jumped all over that. You know, McElroy says, hey man, learn to trust yourself. You know what I mean? And that's what he's been working on, trusting himself. I think that Roy, like guys, when he played his best, I felt like he putted great, right? And, and so if somebody said without him slapping me in the face, it would be like, guys need to make putts. And then, and so when he was working with Dave Stockton, you know, for that time and with that, Cameron Putter he had, I felt like he putted pretty good. And I think that that's a big thing, making putts, trusting your read. That's a hard thing. When you say read, Martin, when you say like to make putts, the number one thing I'd say was trust your read. It, it may not be reading the greens, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's so true. If, if you're not, if you're not, if you're setting up over a putt tentative, you, you, you're, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough every time. Right. So, so if you, I think that, that you torch yourself. Then, then it's like, you know, you have to have great speed. And so, you know, things can get intimidating, right? Like you got this downhill, you know, six footer and it's outside the hole and the greens are super fast. It's like, if you don't trust it, man, you, you can weenie it up there and just dog it and it breaks too much. Or you slam it and it, it, you know, it lips out or something. So it's like, you got to like putting is probably 80% art and 20% technique the golf swing would probably be 80% technique and 20% art. There's always art involved. And I think the closer you get to the hole, the more you have to trust your intuition. And I'd rather be like Steph Curry shooting it rather than thinking about it like LeBron James at the foul line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> great analogy there. Yeah, hey man, one thing thanks. I always wonder about Augusta. That's, that's Oh, I, we have a bit of a delay on Zoom, so sorry if we overlap sometimes. But uh, Go ahead, man. one of the things that I always wonder about Augusta, I'm a big fan of like the hardest courses out there. I like just absolute carnage. Where do you rank Augusta? Because you don't hear it too much on difficulty. Is it one of the hardest courses out there? Well, you know, I haven't had the privilege of, pl of to, to play it. Um, but just from talking to the guys that I know, you know, T.D. Green – in years past, it hasn't really been that difficult. The far fives are reachable. You know, it hasn't been, but the greens are what make it challenging, right? And so guys need to make putts. And, and even just McElroy said when he messed up and shot eight at the last round at Augusta, he thinks that catapulted his success because it made him more hungry and it was a lesson, right? It's, it's he who gets back up after they've been knocked off the horse that does it right and so but i think it's a putty more than anything 
I think it's putting. I think that some courses are overrated and some courses are underrated. I think the media dictates a lot of things. I think that, you know, in regard to like, I would say Whistling Straits is one of the best golf courses I've ever played. I played the PGA Championship there in 2004, right? I think that's one of the best golf courses I've ever played. Um, and people really don't talk about it that much, you know? Yeah. You know, there's there's so many good golf courses, and, and, and each of them are so tough in their own ways. And they're – and, you know, you go to – they're so unique, especially big major golf courses, you know, where the green complexes are, it might be tough for the, the – or the length, you know, might be overpowering or whatever, but it's, it's so interesting to see and play and be in these majors where, I mean, you really got to work your way around the golf course. Right. Yeah, right. Jeff, you said something very interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people would agree that putting is super key when you go to Augusta National. And one thing that it sparked my brain was how they have – a different kind of rule on the the green reading books you can use around that golf course um, compared to other PGA tour stops. They kind of like limit what you can put on those books. And a lot of people think that's um, why Bryson DeChambeau hasn't putted well there compared to all of his other um, places because he hmm. is very thorough in his um, green green reading books so um it's really like you said it takes a true artist i think someone who can just visualize and see every different putt and someone with experience too who's read a lot of those putts before yeah i think that i think that's a great point i always do this and some people would go crazy on me about this it's like if you're at augusta national and you have a 30 foot of the rates eight feet how do you really line up the seam of your ball? Now, Reed Martin might punch me in the nose. How do you line up the seam of your ball exactly where you want that ball to start, man? Who knows? It depends on the speed. And they're so fast. That's why it's right. like, it's, that's why it's like, man, you, you ever set up over that line and it looks bad? It looks bad because your subconscious is overriding conscious. And we kind of get in the way of our art or our, or our right brain or our subconscious mind because you know, we're so logical and we're trained this way and our golf culture says that, you know, these 18 things we have to do to hit this shot or make this putter win this golf tournament. I know with Bryson and Reed and I spoke about it today, um, Tim Tucker, who caddies for him, is a super guy, a wonderful caddy. And I met Tim at Bandon Dunes. We've hung out a lot together and he used to fit Edel putters. And so Tim knows a lot about reading greens. He's a good golfer in his own right. Also, I think that's going to be a benefit for Bryson if he, you know, you know, kind of just, hey, give me a quick look, Tim, what do you think? Or whatever, you know, because I think a lot of times that the guy on your bag is a confirming word of what you need to say. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, like I'm sure Reed goes, they say, hey, what do you, what do you see? And Reed might go, what do you see? And he goes, I see right edge. Yeah, that's it. You got it. That's it. And it's like, okay, baby, I got that thing, right? And so it's just like your armor bearer confirming word. And I think Tim could do a good job for that. I think that's why Bryson really wants him. One of the reasons. Yeah, you, Reed would you, know you better than I about that. You hit it on the nose there. I mean, you got to, you got to give and you need to be as a player. You need to be, you need to be into it. You got to have confidence and you got to step into it. Like, 
like I'm going to make this. And then, and that backing from a caddy helps, especially in the big moments. Right. Or, or just going, Hey, what do you think? You know, I like, I like three, I like a slighted six there and, and, and Reed would go or Tim would go, that's it. That's exactly what I saw. Even if it wasn't, that's what I saw. You got it, baby. This is it. Started at that girl in the red and curve right in the TV tower. And let's get the heck out. Boom. Okay. I got it. Right. It's like getting into a rhythm and flow. And I think that that, that would hold true to anybody to play well. And, and I think that's why Bubba Watson does, you know, good stuff. You know what I mean? Because he's one of the most creative guys around there. You know, when right. you want to hit it, that wedge over the tree and it's like, come on, man, that's, that takes creativity. And, and he likes to have fun. He does his best when he has fun. He, you know, I, I'd be curious about how he does there. He'd be one of my, one of my picks too. He's a nice guy. Um, yeah, that, that would be, but I'm, I'm going with McElroy too, man. Pull that butter out, Rory, and let's do it, man. He's a nice guy too. <laughs> oh, I love Jeff. So, uh, Zach, uh, what, give us the lowdown on last week. What's going on with last week? Uh, Carlos Ortiz won. Yeah, so last week it was the uh, Vivant. Is it Vivant or Vivanti? I don't know. I feel like I keep thinking it's the wrong. Vivant. Okay, the Vivant Open. I mean, you were there, Reed. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. golf course, um, new golf course from last year. Uh, good track, I would say. A couple of the greens, uh, if I had to, but, you know, pick apart the golf course itself, you know, very, very challenging in areas. Uh, the greens were very undulated, but there were a couple, a uh, couple holes that I think may have been a little, um, the greens were too much for the club they were taking in. Um, but all in all, great golf course, fantastic layout. Um, if you hit it well, you got rewarded. Um, needed to make some putts. The greens were a little tricky in spots, but, uh, you know, we got to the weekend and maybe didn't play our best, but, uh, We'll uh, venture on here to uh, Sea Island soon and go to a place that he loves. And, uh, you know, we played the weekend there last year and we could get a dub maybe. Yeah, and we had the first uh, Carlos Ortiz won. I think he's the first Mexican golfer to win, I'm not sure how many, 30-something years maybe? 42 years, Zach. 42 years. 42. Oh, 42. He birdied the last two holes or two of the last three. I mean, under pressure – these young guys, like, I feel like everyone always thinks these young guys are going to crack under pressure. And I think we've seen multiple times this year them hold on to leads late. It's sort of been incredible. I mean, I'm a big fan of watching guys win for the first time on tour. I think it's much more enjoyable than watching someone win for the 10th uh, time. You know, I actually know Carlos Ortiz's caddy very well. And Eddie uh, is his name. He's an uh, unbelievable dude. Couldn't be more happy for him. Yeah, I think Carlos, I want to say way back, I swear he played in the Masters as an amateur. I can't remember if he got low amateur or not. He did, for sure. He did? Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy can play. I mean, everyone out there can play, so. (laughs) But. (laughs) Yeah. No, he didn't play the Masters, unless it's not showing it. He played the Maybe 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 I just remember him as, like, him being really young because – Dude, he he's like thirty two years old, maybe. Or he's thirty 20, years old. Twenty nine. Yeah. Dude, but he looks like he's twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff, do you know who Carlos Ortiz is? 
I'm sure you do. Yeah, I don't know much about them, but I got that same thing when I when I went in the other day to buy a bottle of wine for my wife. They asked for my ID, <laughs> so that. So I, I, I hear you. I hear you fully. You know what? It's like um. You know, back when I was on the tour before, they had running water and three-point lines in basketball. That that younger guys would more have more of a, a tendency to cave under pressure. But I think that as time has gone on and you've had more people successful or sports psychologists or, you know, I just think that people are tougher and they get, you know, like Bender and I talk about a lot that, you know, we were doing things by trial and error, which is a slower process where, where now people are helping others or I'm helping people. I had a guy call me um, that, that's on the verge of breakthroughs on, you know, professional golf. And so he's going to come out and see me for 30 days in Phoenix when I go down there at the beginning of the year. And it's like, if I could put my experience on somebody and some of my expertise, and so it would speed up the process in their success. You know what I mean? And so I think that, that that's a big thing that's changed a lot, you know, in this stage of golf, which I think is wonderful. You know, I think it's wonderful. And I think another thing that, and this is my theory, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka work out a lot and play a lot of practice runs together. And, and so Dustin Johnson had this success before Kepka. And he's going, man, I lift more weights than he does. We play rounds every day and I kick his behind. Well, if he can do it, I can do it. Or it was Jordan Spieth wins a tour event when he's 19. And he and uh, um, my mind just went blank. Thomas. Justin Thomas. Um, yeah. Um, you know, they hung out together, played junior golf together. And Spieth is having all these success and he goes well if he can do it i can do it you know and then then they're all friends you know fowler and all those guys are friends and it's like yeah man it ain't no big thing and so i think that that that's one of the things in my own mind i thought it was bigger than what it was like i remember you know i went eight under par the last 10 holes to get my tour card or and and it was just like i didn't it didn't stick with me that hey that's just a glimpse of your true, true potential jeff or i remember um in 1988, I, uh, I was on the range and Tom Watson, it was a Wednesday afternoon and Tom Watson and Lanny Watkins came up to me and said, how do you ever shoot over par? We've been watching you hit balls, man. You hit it good. So I go out to the, on Thursday and I shoot 75, four over par and I'm in last place. And I call the sports psychologist on the phone. I'm crying on the phone. I don't need to go hit balls. Lanny Watkins thinks I'm amazing. I'm going to miss another cut. I'm in last place. And this guy said, Jeff, you just don't have permission to be great. You, you, you know, everybody knows you can do it, but you don't have it in your own heart and mind. You need to walk around Bush Gardens to say, Jeff, it's okay to be great. You know what I mean? It's okay to believe in yourself. It's okay to trust yourself, right? So I did that, man. I'd do anything. And so the next day I stood on the first tee, Jeff, it's okay to hit this cut off this bunk. You do it every day, man. Trust yourself. And so I did it and I shot 67, made the cut on the nose. Next day I shot 65. And I moved up the leaderboard. Last day I shot 67. I finished seventh in the tournament. Went from 156 to seventh. And that mindset lasted a couple weeks, but I didn't grab hold of it and own it. And I didn't realize the importance of that. You know, I just thought, man, I got to go beat more balls, right? And I didn't realize when I miss a cut by a shot, never by a bunch, it was my mind. And then I go practice on Friday afternoon and I hit it perfect. Think I found my swing. No, I just didn't have any interference that interfered with me reaching my potential. And I think that people now get that way more. You know what I mean? They have teams oh, yeah. and they, and they people keep accountable. 
Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I never really thought about it like that, but it totally makes sense that, you know, back in the day, you had to like really get going on the tour or else you're just going to flame out really fast. Um, and nowadays, and you see it across all sports that athletes are way more collaborative with each other and they're always trying to pick each other's brains and they're all open to it. You see it in basketball and the NBA with um, older point guards mentoring younger guys. Um, you see it in the NFL with quarterbacks, whatever. So it's uh, it's weird how that's become like a thing now and it never used to be. So that definitely, it, it like leveled the playing field a little for the, for the younger tour players that have all this talent, but just didn't know what to do with it. Right. I believe that fully. I remember my first year on the tour was the first year that they had a workout trailer. Right. And so like nobody worked out. There was like three of us that worked out. Half the trailer was for guys hurt. Half the trailer was weights. And so it was like, yeah, nobody lifted weights, but everybody was getting stems on their back and things like that. And then when I was on the champion tour, they had two trailers, a workout trailer and a rehabilitation trailer. And it was like, man, if we stay in this workout trailer, we don't have to go to that other trailer. I mean, and now you have teams of people, whether they're psychologists and their workout trainers and their swing coaches. And before then, it was just like, man, you hop in your V-Dub van, you go, man. You know what I'm saying? Hop in that V-Dub. <laughs> yeah. Hop in uh, that V-Dub, man. I wanted to ask about the Champions Tour. We've seen a guy who's going to be in the Masters this week, Phil Mickelson, play a couple events. I mean, he's, he seems to be dominating the Champions Tour. What are your thoughts on him playing on the Champions Tour when he still obviously is able to compete? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you guys like stories or not. <clears throat> Big My first year on the tour was 1985. The San Diego Open. It was a San Diego Open. And, and you know, I, and again, I'm playing well. I'm doing my thing, but I don't understand how to do it. I don't know. I'm a good athlete. I work my buns off and I persevered. But I didn't understand anything more. That's why on that Twitter thing, I put things I wish I knew when I was on the tour, right? And so, and so anyway, I asked Phil Mickelson, well, well, um, how'd you get started playing golf or, or, you know, and, and he said, well, in 1985, I was 14 years old. I was the standard bear for Chris Perry, Steve Pate, and Jeff Costin. And I knew I wanted to play the tour then. Right. And so when you meet a guy, you know, a young man that's carrying your sign and he introduces himself to Phil Mickelson, you don't know anything, right. It's just like, he's 14 years old. And so I was doing an outing with Lehman in 1996 now. And he goes, Phil Mickelson's in the back of the range. I never saw him since he was 14, right? And who knew who he'd be? So I walked by there, and, and I'm 30 feet from him. He stands up and goes, I know you're Jeff Costin. And I go, yeah, Jeff Costin. He goes, Mr. Costin. And then we hit balls together for a few hours. Smart. He was so nice. It was unbelievable. And um, then I'm in the PGA. And so we, I go, Phil, Phil. Jeff Costin, Mr. Costin, never going to have to tell me who you are. I'll never forget who you are. Every year in the then it was like, um, he was with Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler and Davis Love. And he walked up and he says, hey, old man, I'm not carrying your sign. <laughs> and so it was, it was, you know, I could practice when I go down to Phoenix. And he calls me on the phone. He says, hey, Mr. Costin, a golf course I own in Phoenix, you can practice that. Right? So. 
that, that, that's amazing since he's four years old now he's 50 right and and so he has such an advantage because of his length and and especially his hands and his short game and his creativity you know his golf swing technically is not that good i mean it's amazing but not that good for a tour player you know and so he has great hands and so he hits it crooked but he plays the game and um he's a you know if it wasn't for tiger woods you know he'd won so many golf tournaments it's unbelievable right so i'm for him i appreciate him and um you know he's made a mark and and it's pretty neat that he calls me mr costin but uh i don't he wouldn't be in my top five i'm betting on this week though <laughs> <laughs> another guy from the champions tour that i think does not get nearly enough talk about how incredible he how much he dominates a tour is bernard langer who's entered 15 <laughs> events he has 12 yeah. top 10s. What, why is he so dominant on the tour? You know, it, it is crazy. So, you know, like, Bernhard's a great guy. No one and talks he, about it. I know it. It's crazy. We both had long hair in the 80s. And so some people used to think that I was him, right? And so, <laughs> and so I told them that. People, I just say, when they come up to you, I say, you crazy Americans, stay away from me, right? <laughs> right but the guy's funny nobody wrecked so hard at every aspect and when you play a practice round he could play that course 80 times nobody wants to play a practice round with him because he 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 takes care of every blade of grass out there and that's one of his strengths another one of his strengths is he does not get in his own way he totally trusts himself he totally he is a technician on that golf course and he's afraid of nothing nobody no situation another guy who's a friend of mine i i, I wouldn't say he's a friend of mine he's an acquaintance he's always been great to me is fred couples i've known him since he was 13. and so bernhardt's playing the u.s senior open at sahali with couples in the last group they're they're both in the hunt together and everybody on the planet wants couples to win in seattle except for bernhardt and his son is caddying for him right and bernhardt you know, not, let nothing bother him. And he wins the U.S. Senior Open with everybody wanting couples and just he and his son on the bag. That, that is impressive. He's amazing. Totally amazing. He is one, maybe one of the most consistent golfers out there if, you, if you, you're going across all tours, for sure. I'm surprised. Do you not right. think he'd be able to at least, like, I feel like he could play on the PGA Tour and make, like, at least, like, 75% of cuts. He's tough. Uh, man, I, I need I need to take the pill that he takes, man, for sure. Every couple of years, he I maybe it was like three, four years ago, he was at the top on the first page of the leaderboard on Sunday. I think it was the Masters. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, he and couples. He yeah, you're just like, of course, Bernard yeah. Langer's up there. Couples he says that's his favorite tournament of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 good stuff for sure. Yeah. Tell you what, I'd be mine too if I could make it. <laughs> well, uh, Zach, should we take a little halftime break and uh, yeah, good point. jump in and applaud our wonderful partners over at Sticks Golf? Um, if you guys haven't haven't heard of them yet, they're uh, super awesome uh, local Pacific Northwest uh, company. Um, they they make golf equipment. Uh, you're going to get like 12 clubs in, in a full set if you buy them 
uh, at sticks.golf, S-T-I-X dot golf. Um, they're modern. They're like this matte black finish that really catches your eye, really cool looking. And right now, if you promo code STADIUM99, uh, you're going to get $25 off of their already sale price of $7.99 or $6.99. I don't know. Go check it out. Go look at sticks.golf and uh, see what see what you're missing on. And I also uh, always talk about my my friends uh, that we partner with here uh, from the back tees. You guys always fun having you guys on. Surf and Turf Golf, uh, the hat company out of uh, Texas. Um, go check out their stuff if you. Like something you see, like some one of their slick designs, or actually just releasing some of those more of those flower design hats with the bills on them. They actually look pretty cool. Um, Reed Martin 15 will leave you 15% off in your, in your shopping cart once you check out. To the friends over at Forma Cars in Columbus, Ohio, um, check out some of the replica Cobra designs they do. They actually use these machines that laser cut their doors, laser cut their windows and everything, so it's done, uh, done to a T. Uh, they put together some uh, pretty crazy builds and some slick-looking cars. And then uh, last but not least, Tommy Dodge's design out in California, always supplying my shirt, uh, my clothing out on tour. Awesome. I think uh, we lost Jeff for a second. Jeff, are you back? I'm back, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm back, perfect. Yeah. Well, I figured uh, I have a question I just thought of that we don't ask our guests nearly enough, and I know you're a good storyteller, so let's just get right to it. What's your huh. best of your entire career, what's the best story you have? Oh wow! And I, I, I got. If I was writing a book, I, I'd write a book on stories. But I got a lot of great stories for sure. I think. Uh, put my thinking cap on here. I got a lot of a lot of. Them. I, I guess one that just comes to my mind is I was always a. fan of steady balusters our lockers were next to each other um way so whether it was ben crenshaw his locker was next to mine you know i'd ask him about putting all the time we put together and i'd ask him about putting and but one day at the la open steady balusters um um i had a set of m85w's that i was going to buy from a guy and he brought him to the golf course and so sevy was at his locker as was i and it was like he was my hero sevy balusters was my hero and so it was, um, I had these golf clubs. In fact, he bought a couple clubs that I had owned that I gave to this collector. So we had the same taste in golf clubs. So I had, I was playing, it was wooden golf clubs. I was playing at M85Ws. He liked those too. This guy said, Sevy goes, me want, me want. And, and um, the guy said, well, I offered them to Jeff first. And so if Jeff doesn't want them, he sure can have them. And so it's like, he said, I want to hit, me hit, me hit. So we walked down to the What's that? Oh, sorry. I said it puts you in a predicament there. You got your, your idol there wanting some clubs sorry. that you want. Oh, we may have lost Jeff. Well. So, right, so much. right, exactly. Oh. Exactly. So without Million bucks. Oh, Jeff, we seem to be losing you. I'm not sure on your internet connection. Maybe reset it or something. And we're here. I'm balls next to Debbie Balls. My 
hero. <laughs> so don't worry, at least it's comedic gold. Oh, now we lost him. Hey, we, we can just cut that out, yeah? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's funnier if we leave it in because also people will enjoy it. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to ask him. Oh, here he comes. I was going to ask him his thoughts on Jack versus Tiger because, I mean, like, he's seen both of them throughout all their primes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jeff, are you on? Is that um, in my back or? Yeah, your internet is a bit off now. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, that seems to be better. Okay. Whatever you're doing right. now is better. All right. All right. Jeff, we were, as, as you were okay. uh, rejoining us, we were uh, contemplating asking you what your thoughts on the whole Tiger versus Jack debate is. I feel like every, everyone's got an opinion on that. So we'd love to hear Jeff Costin's opinion on it. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I didn't know what to say about that. I, I never I never understood, like, why did they compare LeBron James with Michael Jordan or, you know, whomever? Because they're great in their own right, in their own way. Do you know what? And, and I don't even see how you can compare that. Like, they've both been amazing for golf. And... Um, no, we lost them again. Cliffhanger, man. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Oh. Well, Reed, we'll ask you the same question. You give your input. Because <laughs> we know no one's answer. You know, until, until Tiger breaks Jack's record of the majors, I don't think it's a debate. You said until. So that leads me to believe you might think he'd do it. <laughs> Very well could. But, uh, man, it's hard, to, it's hard to argue with someone who's won the most majors of all time. Fair point. That's uh, I mean, that's just breaking it down to simplicity is all. Yeah. Oh, we got you. You have a trivia question. Got uh, Jeff back. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> we may let's wrap it up with a trivia question, then we'll get it figured out for next time. The technical errors. All right, buddy. Trivia question. All right, so Jeff. Uh, I always do a trivia question for the uh, the city where the uh, tournament's being played that week. And uh, obviously this week it is Augusta National. And the question is, what previously was located on the land where Augusta National was built? A, Fruitlanders, <laughs> B, Berkman's Boys Club, or C, the Waffle House headquarters? <laughs> I would say the first thing, the first one. No one? Nursery. See, I feel like A is a is the sucker the sucker pin there. And C seems just point, way right? way out in left field. So I'm gonna go B the boys club. The Berkman's Boys Club? Yeah. Uh, wait, repeat the options. Fruitland Nurseries. Berkman's Boys Club. Or the Waffle House headquarters. These are too precise. I'm going Fruitland. I don't know how you would even come up with that as an option. The Fruitland nurseries were previously located on the Augusta National property before Augusta National was built. Dang it. 
I overthought what was it. The other one that you said. Berkman's Boys Club. It's like a boys club. You no, know, that must have been built on the land at some point around there, if it was such even a thing. Oh. But uh, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, I, Augusta. That area I, I heard is you know a little a little dicey in areas, but obviously that property is something else. Nolan, do you have a uh, tiger stat heading into it? Of course I do, Zach. Um, so being Masters Week, we got to talk about Tiger Woods at Augusta National. Um, and we're going to throw it back just, well, not not really one year ago today because I don't even remember when the last Masters was played. It feels like it's been so long ago since we uh, got gypped this April. But two Aprils ago, um, we had Tiger winning, of course, uh, major number 15. And he became the second oldest Masters winner of all time. I'm sure most of us all know who who that oldest one was, but he barely edged Ben Crenshaw um, by not even two months. Um, 43 years old. Um, wow. Yeah. So Tiger, second oldest Masters winner ever. Of course, we all know Jack Nicholas is the oldest. Um, but we'll see if Tiger can uh, smash that record also. Yeah. In the week, in the week to come, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how that golf course uh, comes to fruition this week. Yeah, well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. We might do another pod, a special just all Masters pod, because I know we got someone else from the site, maybe a special guest, a little teaser they call it in the industry so we're gonna figure that out but uh jeff thanks so much for coming on i'm not sure if you're frozen or not or you're just incredibly still thank you so much jeff no, I appreciate that. i've had a great time thank you guys for um doing that and reed man uh, let's let's tee it up sometime because reed martin is really one of the most talented players that i've ever coached that's, that's no joke. One of the most yeah, talented golfers. Make fun of Reed sometimes, but we all know that he would completely smoke us in golf. Yeah. Hey, I would love. To, I would love to tee it up. I'm back in Seattle. I'll be back there in uh, December for Christmas, so maybe we can say. Oh. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Let's do it, man. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you two aside. <laughs> hey, I might, I might need more than that now. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right, man. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. See you.